Hello and welcome to the Friday, April 15th, 2022 traditional tax day edition of On Iowa Politics. Support provided by New Pioneer Co-op, celebrating 50 years as Eastern Iowa's source for locally and responsibly sourced groceries with stores in Iowa City, Coralville, and Cedar Rapids, and online through Co-op Cart at newpi.coop. This week, a presidential visit, ESA opposition, infanticide, and a lingering ballot question. Hi, I'm James Lynch of the Cedar Rapids Gazette, and with me today are Sarah Watson of the Quad City Times. Good morning, Sarah. Good morning. Jared McNett of the Sioux City Journal. Good morning, Jared. We got to make this quick, James. We've got to fill up uh, barrels with the E15 and then try to make some sales. <laughs> Aaron Murphy, State House Bureau Chief for the Gazette. Good morning, Aaron. Good morning, James. And that is also distilled grain dust on my jacket, not bird poop. <laughs> sure. 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 <laughs> and Gazette Opinion Editor Todd Dorman. Good morning, Todd. Good morning. Todd is drinking shots of ethanol as we speak. Yeah. Yes, aged four years in bourbon barrels. <laughs> first up, the presidential visit. President Joe Biden returned to Iowa for the first time since shortly before the November 2020 election. If he had stuck around longer Monday, or, uh, this week, he could have enjoyed tornado season, but he lifted off before the twisters touched down in Iowa. He was here long enough to announce ethanol will be available to everyone all of the time. That's right, year-round sales of E15 everywhere. Aaron, uh, you waited in the wind and rain to see the president. His uh, announcement was not a surprise to anyone who's been paying attention. Uh, He seems to be taking his cues from the corn growers and ethanol producers, announcing E15 could be sold throughout the summer as a way to provide some relief to consumers and maintain an adequate fuel supply through the summer driving season. Uh, he got some props, even from Republicans, although they said his temporary measure doesn't go far enough. Uh, I'm not sure if an April visit can be considered a campaign appearance, but did his visit and announcement do anything to improve his stance this year? I mean, that's asking a lot. That's 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 a heavy lift for a fly-in to talk about gas for a half hour. Um, I, I mean, at the very least, I think what was maybe most interesting politically about it was was how it's tied all tied to Cindy Axney and her prospects in the third district specifically. That's where the event was held. She was there, uh, fully embraced the president's visit. Um, he talked about her in his remarks um, right off the bat and talked about how great she is. So I think if you're looking for a political impact, it, it's it's there. Now, does that help or hurt her um, in that district? That That's a, a Trump-carried district in 2020. Um, Cindy Axney is one of the few remaining um, Democratic Congress um, folk in a, in a Trump district. Um, I think clearly what the political calculation there is, is that it's the policy that they can lean into, that Cindy Axney can lean into. She can talk about the infrastructure bill, and she can talk about ethanol being made available year-round, which in, in Iowa is a big deal um, and, and a popular idea. So, so you know, is it going to help whoever goes against Chuck Grassley? Is it going to help Deidre DeGier? Probably not. Um, maybe help Cindy Axney a little bit in that she can say, hey, this policy that Iowans like is something that I leaned into. She was the only Democrat there. Um, I mean, the only candidate. Uh, we didn't see DeGier or Liz Mathis or Christina Bohannon or anybody up there with the president. 
Yeah, that's correct. And and um, there were there was another um, like a meet and greet line, I believe, out at the airport where president met some Democratic lawmakers. But but even among those, it was like current members of the legislature. It wasn't Christina Bohannon or, or well, I mean, Liz Mathis would have been a current one. And now I'm, I'm kicking myself. I'm going to look that up. I can't remember if she was on that list or not. I'll, I'll okay. look it up and jump back in the middle of someone else's remarks here later in the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> At one point, Biden uh, said, uh, quote, this is an industry with a tremendous future. You simply can't get to net zero by 2050 without biofuels. Todd, uh, it might be considered heresy in Iowa, but there are economists and environmentalists who would disagree. Uh, will the president's E15 endorsement pr- provide fuel to the arguments for ethanol mandates and carbon capture pipelines? Liz Mathis was not there either. There <laughs> how, how dare you? I, I promised I would. That Now, now I'm done. <laughs> uh, Sorry, Todd. No, that's okay. Uh, yeah, you know, there are, there are environmental, environmentally minded folks who, who look at, you know, the pipeline projects, you're going to, you're going to be, those are going to be needing, you know, multi-billion dollar federal tax credits. And they question whether the, the climate fighting value of the pipelines is really worth all that money and, and whether, you know, would it be spent better doing something else? Uh, you know, I would, We've 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 given ethanol a lot of government support over the years. Uh, this this you know this is uh, the Biden stop was you know how many times have we had presidents and candidates of both parties come to give similar praise for ethanol over the last you know forty years and it's still not able to stand on its own feet economically without that you know mandated markets and tax credits and and all of these things that make it more you know viable. Uh, so there is that economic argument. I mean, is this is this really the, the future of American energy or are we just sort of propping up something that if we were to stop propping it up, it would collapse under its own weight? Uh, and with the pipelines, I mean, this has put a new dimension on the issue. I mean, those pipelines are going to pump carbon from ethanol plants and and really, it's sort of a very expensive, you know, marketing campaign so that they can basically say, look, ethanol is greener now. You know, we're not producing as much carbon where our footprint is smaller. And but in order to do that, you've got to take people's land, which is not sitting well. Uh, and the opposition to the, to the eminent domain issue on these pipelines is being, in some cases, led by Republican farmers, Republican locals boards of supervisors. Uh, and so, you know, and then the legislature, the, you know, the Republican controlled legislature hasn't seemed to have much appetite for, for, you know, stopping the use of eminent domain for these pipelines there. It looks like even the, you know, the, uh, the proposal for a moratorium isn't, isn't a, a done deal yet. It may not be. So yeah, the ethanol politics is, is more complicated now than it maybe has been in the past when presidents sort of pledged allegiance to corn. But, uh, you know, I, I, I I would have liked to have heard more from the president on his you know views on the future of energy rather than sort of you know another another pep rally for for biofuels. Todd, they have to uh, they have to pledge allegiance to corn and then they have to forge like a wicker man esque uh, effigy and like burn the effigy and then yeah. dance around it. That's what they have to do uh, when they come. Yeah, they, maybe they, you know they have to build like a corn palace or something. So yes. <laughs> Roasted corn. Ah, okay. Well, George um, W. Bush, he just grabbed an ear of raw sweet corn and just started chomping on it. That's how much he that's right. corn. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting that uh, Summit Carbon Solutions uh, published a poll they had done 
um, this week. It's by wide, wide margins. Uh, Iowans believe the ethanol industry is important for the farmers and the state's egg in industry, um, the state's economy. It's good for the environment and has a positive impact on the state of Iowa. So I guess the uh, president must have seen that poll and decided to come to Iowa and, and talk up ethanol. I, I'm really surprised the summit poll uh, showed <laughs> wide support for ethanol. That's, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's that's remarkable. Is there yep. anything that ethanol can't do? I guess is the... the... <laughs> It's good for everything. <laughs> it's like those ads at the bottom of your uh, web page, you know, vinegar, a million uses, or <laughs> yeah, <right>. try this. <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> moving right along here, let's uh, do a legislative update. Uh, Governor Kim Reynolds scored a significant political victory during the current legislative session with passage of her tax cuts. However, another priority, educational savings accounts, is proving elusive once again. Uh, Sarah, her problem seems to be that too many Republicans oppose the voucher-like plan that would provide financial assistance to students attending non-public schools, and uh, they weren't bashful about voicing their opposition at a forum you covered. Yeah, so um, Gary Moore, the chair of the Budget Writing House Appropriations Committee, is uh, he represents Bettendorf, and he um, the bill's actually in his committee, and he wasn't shy about saying, and he I think has said at previous forums too that he didn't he. He doesn't disagree with the idea of school choice and giving money to parents and families who want to choose private schools. But the sticking point for him was some of the money that would have gone to public schools if somebody switched. Part of it would go to the private school and part of it would go to a rural district um, out in Iowa, not in his legislative district. And he just said he couldn't support that. And then Ross Postgen, he's not running for re-election this year, but he's said in previous years as well that um, he, he represents Walcott, which is a more rural area of the Quad Cities. And he just he's said, too, that he um, doesn't support the the premise of, of uh, school vouchers or schools, educational savings accounts, um, as they're dubbed. So. So, yeah. And he, and they really it seems like Gary Moore is maybe among the Republicans that might may be willing to broker some kind of compromise. But it will just see. Um, how many Republicans can can get on board with that? Yeah, uh, and Aaron, I, you've been following this too. Um, th this is an issue that they kind of get across the finish line last year. Now the Senate has approved the governor's plan, but it's just sitting in the House. Any idea on what the prospects are? I mean, it's still it still sounds like an uphill climb based on everything that we're hearing. And I think the way that it, if it gets done, um, it's not going to be because Republicans change their vote on this. Um, I think for the most part, everybody is where they are on this topic. There's nobody that's still waiting to get more information or, or learn something that they don't yet know. Um, I think the only way it happens is if it, it is involved in some horse trading and the, you know, the so-called so grand bargain that ends the legislative session, where if, if someone can, to Sarah's point, if there's someone like Representative Moore and a few others like him who are against it now, but could be persuaded and say, if you give us a vote on this, this K-12 vouchers bill, then uh, we'll give you a vote on XYZ, any of the other number of bills that are out there right now, um, to get them both across the finish line and get us out of here. I think that's the only way that 
that this bill passes this session because uh, on its own, there's pretty clearly not enough support for it. And I don't even know if that's going to happen. Um, it was interesting when we asked the governor, um, well, we, I'm going to take credit for this. I did it. When I asked the governor about this <laughs> um, this week. My exclusive interview. <laughs> that's, that's right. <laughs> she, for the first time that I can remember anyways, and I, and I asked some of our colleagues here and they couldn't remember it either. For the first time this year, she kind of phrased her answer through, and if, it doesn't get the, done this year. I'll come back again next year and try again. That, that's the first time she's really put it in those terms, which which I felt was somewhat noteworthy that she's maybe getting to that point where she's seeing the writing on the wall and, and maybe it's not going to get done again and, it, and it's going to have to be. And look, there's some some reasoning to that too. We've got an election this November. Um, a number of the no votes in the House are people who are retiring. Um, there are some Republican primaries in, in in the state legislature, so maybe the group that comes back next year is a little different and a little closer, and, and they can get it done next year. So there's some sound logic to that, if that's the case, too. Well, and I guess if she gets reelected, which looks likely, she can claim this as part of the mandate that voters gave yep. her that they want. This. That's 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 a really good point. <laughs> Although yep. nobody really seems to be talking about it that much. Uh, at least I'm not hearing people talk about it. Uh, I mean, it doesn't seem to be the issue that is attracting attention. Um, and it's not a majority supported issue. We saw that in the recent batch of Des Moines Register <clears throat> Iowa polling. It, it, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it, it was an underwater situation for, for the idea of this type of a program. Yeah. I, it almost strikes me as it's one of those things that it has uh, too many moving parts um, and, and people are skeptical that it's going to work. Uh, they may agree yeah. with the philosophy, but they're not sure that it's going to work because, uh, well, yeah. And, and, and again, back to, to Sarah's point, uh, who I think I can't remember if which lawmaker over there, who she said, who said it, but when they added the, the piece of, okay, because the, the big concern last year was for rural schools, what's going to happen if a bunch of kids leave a rural school. So, so they added the piece this year to try and get those votes where, okay, we'll send some money from each of these, students that moves to rural schools well great but now that lost you other votes for the legislative republicans in the urban districts who said hey you're asking me to sign off on sending money away from my school to someone else's so so that to, to, that's a great point james there's so many moving parts you, you pick up a vote here but you lose one over here well and I, I don't remember the number but isn't it something like the money goes to the hundred smallest schools something along and, those and, lines, and the yeah. 101st and the 102nd smallest schools are saying like well what about us you know which <laughs> right. seems pretty obvious uh reaction when you right. set an arbitrary limit like that um so anything else going on in the legislature aaron not at all <laughs> uh it we're at the i like to call this the white smoke uh point of the the session we're all just sitting around waiting for the white smoke to come out of the chimney to tell us that we have a, a not a, a new pope but a, a grand bargain deal on the, on these last bills. We're, we're literally at the point where nobody's at the Capitol. The, the, the rank and file have all been sitting home. It's it's uh, it's the Jack Whitford, Pat Grassley, and Kim Reynolds show right now, and 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 uh, we'll know something when they tell us. One thing I heard this week that I found interesting, and I should have mentioned this earlier when we were talking about ethanol, is that the governor seemed to be saying that perhaps Biden's visit might help 
her get her ethanol mandate, not a mandate mandate, uh, <laughs> passed. It's, uh, I, I think the House has passed it, and now that's in the Senate that's waiting for yeah. action. And this would require um, stations, uh, fuel stations to like sell ethanol in half their pumps, I think is, is yeah. there are a bunch of waivers to make it more palatable. But uh, yeah, the, the, the governor seemed to be hoping that Joe Biden could help her get her legislative <laughs> agenda passed. Politics and strange bedfellows, right? Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. And I mean, there's some, well, first of all, you're right. The House passed it. It was literally the first bill they passed. So that's how long it's been sitting in the Senate. Um, there's in a vacuum logic to that, the, what the governor's saying, because Nike, because maybe there was hesitance out there that, well, you're going to mandate that we sell E15 and for three months out of the year, uh, whatever it is, um, we, we can't sell it. So you're, you're, you're mandating us to sell something we can't sell. So this, you know, new provision would seemingly address that concern. That said, that's not why the bills stalled. So, um, <laughs> It's it's a it it sounds good, but it's 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 maybe a little more hopeful or optimistic than than uh, what's actually grounded in reality here. Wow, that's that's unusual in politics, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Who knew? Speaking of that, exaggerated and unsubstantiated claims are not unusual in political campaigns. But Jared, uh, Sioux City lawmaker Jim Carlin, who wants to jump from the Iowa Senate to the big Senate, made one that caught your attention the other day. Uh, according to Carlin, they're legalizing infanticide. And uh, we're talking about Jim Carlin, who is challenging um, Senator Chuck Grassley for the Republican nomination for the Senate this year. Well, what's he talking about? Uh, the answer to that one is uh, I'm not sure at all. Um he he made those remarks at a, a GOP uh, meet the candidate type event in Mason City, which the uh, Globe Gazette first covered. And uh, there wasn't really a citation of what it was specifically he was talking about. Um, and when I was doing my like follow up reporting, I noted that the only recent like federal bill even dealing with abortion, which is not infanticide, um, that bill was defeated in the Senate in February because of Joe Manchin, who's a Democrat. So. If there's a sweeping campaign right now to kill kids up to 28 weeks after they're born, the campaign isn't going very well. It's uh, off to a shaky start in uh, in the halls of Congress. <laughs> um, Carlin isn't seen as likely to defeat Chuck Grassley in the primary. Uh, is this his attempt to lock down the My Pillow guy vote? Uh, um, well, it's it's funny you would specifically mention uh, the My Pillow guy uh, because at the event where Carlin um, talked about infanticide, the guest speaker uh, was uh, Tamara Scott, who's the national committee woman for the Republican Party of Iowa, and uh, hosts a show on uh, Mike Lindell's uh, TV TV uh, <laughs> network. Um, and of course, Mike Lindell, among other things, has promoted like oleander as a cure for COVID. Um, and he just so happened to have a stake in a pharmaceutical company that was uh, developing an oleander uh, product for COVID. Uh, small coincidence there. What a happy coincidence. Um, and then, of course, Mike Lindell has also been sued for saying that, uh, you know, Dominion Voting Systems rigged the election. He's getting sued for $1.3 billion for that. Um, so, yeah, all, all of that to say, I guess, that um, talking about this kind of stuff is, I guess, a way 
to differentiate yourself from someone like Grassley, who is about as mainstream of a Republican as you could get, at least in Iowa, just by fact of how long he's been around and everything like that. So when you're running against a candidate who is in his, what, seventh term now, you kind of have to track further to one side or the other to even try to get noticed. As long as he's been around, I think Chuck Grassley probably, you know, built the mainstream. Of <laughs> <laughs> well, we didn't have a mainstream when I started. <laughs> that was in the first infrastructure bill. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Back when we were nonpartisan. <laughs> Moving along here. Um, the Iowa Supreme Court heard arguments this week in the challenge to Abby Finkenauer's place on the June 7th Democratic ballot. Like county auditors with primary election ballots to print, Aaron is feverishly hitting the refresh button on the court website to see if a decision has been rendered. I don't believe there's anything yet this morning. Um, There's stiff competition from a presidential visit, the strong possibility Iowa Democrats won't be first in the nation in 2024. But is Finkenauer losing her spot on the ballot, the biggest political news story of the week, Todd? Oh, I, you know, I, th- I think it's a it's it's a very big story. Obviously, I mean, this is she's the person that's expected to win the Democratic primary for U.S. Senate. So, you know, obviously, not getting you know not having the signature dispute is uh, a big deal. And if she's knocked off the ballot, then that shakes things up considerably, and uh, suddenly you have uh, Mike Franken, perhaps. I guess becoming the the new leading candidate for the Senate. And there are debates within the Democratic Party whether that's a good thing or whether Finkenauer's knocked off the ballot, that that's their, the end of their chances. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a big, it's a very big story. And, and there'll be a lot of nervous waiting on the Finkenauer camp for the Supreme Court ruling to come down. And, uh, you know, look, looking at the oral arguments and, and some of the questions that were asked and answered by lawyers on both sides it's really hard to tell which way they'll go i i would you know it looks like something that's going to be four three one way or the other so it's going to be uh it's going to be a difficult wait for abby fickenauer and hopefully I, I does anyone know when they have they said no i i i in fact just so so for the benefit of the listeners we we tape on friday morning um it's about 10 a.m friday as i say these words um, and I had just checked in with uh, the court's comms person, and no estimate was given. I, th- I think the general feeling is maybe Friday, more likely some point over the weekend, Monday morning at the absolute latest. Um, so depending on when you're listening to this podcast, that that ruling um, may already uh, be out. And and I was going to add, Todd, to your point, um, uh, I, I followed, I had other things going on, so I wasn't at the hearing, but I followed them on YouTube just because it's fascinating stuff. Um, but I asked uh, Stephen and Gruber Miller for the Des Moines Register who was there, and he said he talked to um, three lawyers afterwards to ask them if they had a sense for how this would go. And he said he got three different answers, essentially. So so if it makes, uh, it, it, if you don't have a, if anybody out there doesn't have a good sense for which way that's going to go, you're in good company. At least everyone can learn a good lesson. Like you know, if you don't don't turn your petitions in a week ahead of the deadline when you've barely got enough to qualify, I think that's yeah. you know, uh, it's a cautionary tale. But it seems like we just keep having cautionary <laughs> tales, and no one yeah. ever gets cautious. So 
What good, what good are they? <laughs> well, uh, assuming the worst for Abby Finkenauer here, if, if she isn't on the ballot, what are her options? Does she do a, a sort of a David Young and run for the Iowa legislature again? Uh, start uh, Hinson Finkenauer rematch for 2024 or is, launch the Finkenauer Ernst 2026 campaign? Uh. I'll tell you the other interesting possibility that's out there. And I think this is only possible because it's still the primary. You couldn't pull this off. It was if it was the general and even in the primary, it'd be a tall list lift, but because it's a lower voting event maybe it's possible does she mount a write-in campaign i mean that would be that would be interesting i i I don't like i said only because it's a primary is that possible Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's going to be a long process for alan ostrigan to go to every county and make sure her name is spelled right and that's thank thank you i had that exact same thought as like so so if she does that we're having this legal battle all the way to the supreme court over uh an address and a date can you imagine the legal battles over whether abby finkenauer's name was written correctly on thousands and thousands of write-in ballots oh my god and if people write abby is that enough Right, or if they write Abby F, does that count? And oh god, well, yeah. so and, I, and the Republicans doesn't for that reason the, alone. We'll then find out from Republicans exactly how many Abbeys there are living in Iowa. Yeah, it could be any of them. You don't know. Don't know. She may, maybe she'll run to court quick and change her last name to Smith. That would, and that would we'll learn. Well, and we'll <clears> learn <throat> what's the definition of name in Iowa code. You know, yes. what, what yeah, is right. a name? <laughs> Oh, oh my! Well, I'm, it'll keep the attorneys busy. I'm uh, I'm of a couple of minds about some of this thinking uh, hour stuff from this week. Like, obviously, as Todd, you know, talked about, this is what happens when you barely clear a threshold for certain places. These challenges can become a lot more real. Um, something I was a little bit, admittedly, confused by though was some of the backlash to to thinking hour uh, calling the judge like a partisan judge. I get specifically why Republicans would make hay over that. Like, that's what you do, you know, when your opponent says something that's headline grabbing. But I was a little more confused by the backlash from some Democrats, because wouldn't you want your candidates fighting back as much as possible from any of these kind of like, you know, challenges to like your campaign and all that stuff? Or is that maybe a little too fiery for them? I've I wondered, that's a good question. And I wonder if the only thing I can think to that, is there any residual from the Democratic Party of like, hey, we've been given former President Trump and all his supporters heck for years now for trying to overturn an election and trying to use the courts to do that. And are, would, would we look hypocritical if we supported Abby Finkenauer, um, you know, taking it's not the same. It's not apples to apples, but it, it's at least in that universe, I guess. I, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting and fair well, question, I think you ask, and I'm just kind of trying to get into the mind of Iowa Democrats and guess why they some might be hesitant. The other factor might be that <clears throat> Democrats really led the charge in 2010 against Republican attempts to to kick those kick three Supreme Court yeah. justices off the yeah. ballot, and the battle cry then was, you know, you're politicizing the courts. You know, mm-hmm. judges are trying to do their job, and you're injecting mm-hmm. politics into all of this. And so, I think there are people that went through that that are like. Yeah, let's let's not start, you know, and and also in this case, I mean, it's such a close call with with decent arguments on both sides. I'm not sure his partisan background was 
was really the deciding factor, although he was the same judge in the, in the Northeast Iowa legislative district. Right. And I think that kind of added fuel to the fire of people thinking, yeah. hey, what's going on here? He doesn't like I think that's exactly yeah, right, Todd. I think, right. think that made him vulnerable to that line of attack. But, but I would agree that if you set that aside and look at the actual merits on this case, there's reasonable arguments to be made uh, on this. And that's why it's landed at the Iowa Supreme Court's feet. Well, and I also wonder, too, you know, if Democrats, you know, the only power really that the judges have is, is the power of public opinion. And so, you know, if if in the future there's a question about a Republican nominee to to the ballot, if, if Democrats are going to say if voters are going to remember, oh, hey, Democrats called this judge yeah. partisan, but now he's ruled in your favor. Like, what do you think now? Um, so, you know, that's just maintaining that uh, trust in, in in the courts if they if they rule yeah. or they rule. Right. Yeah. Yep. I also wonder, too, what um, if, if she does get on the ballot, I feel like the Republicans are going to just attack her so much for this. Like, she's illegitimate on the ballot. I could just see the, the press releases all the time now. Yeah, they're not going to let her forget about it. They're not going to let voters forget about that. You know, she barely did enough to get on the ballot. And and, you know. What is she going to do if she gets to Washington? I mean, is she going to do barely enough? And I mean, you yeah. can just yeah, imagine man. imagine tax on her. So, um, as we mentioned, uh, another political story this week was uh, developments regarding the Iowa First in the Nation caucuses. When the Democratic Party has basically said, uh, "You have to apply if you want to be first. Uh, it's you're not guaranteed." Um, and um, this is causing angst among Democrats. Um, some are happy with that decision. <laughs> they're, they're tired of going first. They don't like the caucuses, the process. But uh, Aaron, you, you wrote about that this morning. It, it seemed that some Democrats were reluctant to talk about that decision. Um, and it seemed like Republicans were much more willing to talk about the decision and the fact that they are going to go first uh, again in 2024. Um, where is this going from here? Yeah, it's it's going to be tough. And that you're right, that was interesting like uh Iowa Democratic Party chairman Ross Wilburn issued a statement um to to and not even just a blanket statement like if if a reporter asked for a story then they, then they sent this statement. Um and and uh I'm not aware of any interviews he's done, but I apologize if I missed that. He 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 they declined um just sending the statement to me for my story. Um and then some past chair people um uh declined to comment i think and i think that's maybe just more like hey that's the current chairman i'm gonna let him speak for the party i shouldn't be piling on that right now but um but yeah so you had a situation where i'm trying to write a story about the iowa democratic party's fight for the first in the nation and and the only live quotes i get are uh from the republican party which is interesting um it's gonna be tough um the so so yes they're turning it around and everybody can apply any state can apply to be one of the first four or five states but the criteria that they're talking about are going to make it hard for Iowa to break through that case um and I and I you know he's stinking competitor so I hate bringing up his name and keep giving him credit but I guess he's a good guy so I'll do it get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.